what does it mean to sin? On the surface, this question seems quite elementary. Sin is a concept understood by most believers as an act that God doesn't want us to do. Something that if we do, and if we confess and repent, the blood of Jesus covers it so that we will not be sent to hell. But what exactly is sin? Are there things that we do that God doesn't like, but wouldn't by themselves send us to hell without the blood of Jesus? In this episode of Hardcore Christianity, Jerry and I explore the question, what does it mean to sin? We'll try to define what God considers sin. We'll try and examine what believers in America consider to be sin. And we'll discuss how important it is for those two definitions to align. We'll talk about how the Bible defines sin. We'll examine some of the repercussions of sin. And we'll try to determine what all that says about our God. If you've ever wondered if some disobedient acts are considered sin and others are just considered bad behavior, you'll want to stick around for this episode of Hardcore Christianity. Well, welcome to this episode of Hardcore Christianity. Jerry and I will be talking about sin. What does it mean to sin? And I thank you, Jerry, for joining me for another episode of Hardcore Christianity. Certainly appreciate your point of view on the show. My pleasure. Glad to be here. You know, this topic has been long overdue. There's been several episodes in the past where uh, we've come up to this roadblock as to, well, is it sin or is it just disobedience? Is it just something that God doesn't like? And uh, but but is it something punishable, uh, considered sin, where it would lead us to death or at least lead us to hell if not for the blood of Jesus? So in this episode, we'll do our best to clarify sin and at least leading going forward, we'll try and use this what we learn in this episode of Hardcore Christianity to inform us in future episodes of Hardcore Christianity. But I don't know about you, Jerry, but when I started studying this, it was a little more difficult or it opened up a can of worms that I didn't even know was there when I was trying to prepare for it. Did you have any issues when you were getting ready for it? Well, uh, in our culture, uh, there are so many different views, and uh, trying to be politically correct and all the other things that go with it. Uh, so to try to define something, generally you're going to run up against somebody who doesn't like your definition. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start off by that. Let's start off by trying to define sin. Uh, did you, in your research, did you find anything, or do you have any definitions of sin that you'd like to introduce? Well, I, I think later we ask about our own, so I'm, right, I'll right, start right, with yes. what I, I went uh, on the internet, and in, uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary okay. defines sin as an offense against religious or moral law, an action that is or uh, is or is felt to be highly re- reprehensible. It's a sin to waste food, as an example, hmm. an often serious shortcoming or a fault. Hmm. That is interesting. Do you agree with that definition? I think it it's it goes beyond that. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, as we go, I'm sure we'll uh, <laughs> get into more. Well, let me there. When I looked at it, there were elements of a lot of the definitions that I did agree with and thought, well, those are really good. Um, but when I went through, I found that the the definitions don't always align. There are so many different definitions. I'll I'll kind of point out a couple that I came across. Uh, the Oxford Dictionary says that a sin is an immoral act considered to be a transgression against the divine law, a sin in the eyes of God, so to speak. But I'm not convinced that that is uh, the the correct definition um, because it's just only talking about the transgression against uh, the divine law, but I think it goes beyond just the law. And when we talk about the law, I'm referring to the overt uh, commands of the Bible. Specifically, I mean, the easiest one are the Ten Commandments, Absolutely. but there are other overt uh, commands in the Bible that tell us, thou, maybe not use the word thou shalt not, but certainly tells us that we should not do. Uh, but I, I like part of that. I thought they did a pretty good job of trying. Uh, uh, there's another uh, definition from Christian uh, harmatiology that describes sin as an act of offense against God by despising his persons and Christian biblical law and by injuring others. According to classical definition of St. Augustine of Hippo, sin uh, is a word, word, deed, or desire in opposition to the internal law of God. So, in this definition, they talk about the idea that um, it is not only against 
the biblical law, but it also deals with injuring others, which I thought was interesting. But the next two that I'm going to mention I thought were pretty good by Britannica. And this one talks about actual sin as opposed to original sin, which I thought was interesting that they pointed those two out. But it says actual sin is sin in the uh, the ordinary sense of the word and consists of evil acts, whether a thought, word, or deed. Whereas original sin, which is a term that could be misleading, is the morally vitiated condition in which one finds himself at at birth as a member of the sinful race. Uh, the part of that I like is when it mentions in thought, word, or deed that is uh, as a sin. I thought that was neat that they pointed out. But it goes on to say that sin is regarded in Judaism and Christianity as the deliberate and purposeful violation of the word of God, the will of God, sorry. And I'm not quite sure if I agree with that because um, in the Old Testament, people were held accountable even if they didn't know they sinned. So I don't know if I agree with the deliberate and purposeful violation of the will of God. And this last one is by uh, the Billy Graham organization, uh, billygram.org. And it says, sin is any lack of conformity to the moral character of God or the law of God. We sin by thinking evil, speaking evil, acting evil, or omitting good, which I thought that was pretty pretty good. I mean, it's a pretty good definition. The only problem I have with it is that how do you now define evil? What is evil? Because it's saying that if you speak evil, if you think evil, if you act evil, then that is sin. But now you have to now define out what evil is. Um, I actually settled on this simple definition that I hope will be enough to, to, to carry us forward uh, and hardcore Christianity um, from this point on. At least we can reference it. And let me know if you agree with this. Is this a one-sentence definition? And I pulled a little bit from each of the definitions that I thought were were good and accurate. It said, my definition is, it is an act of offense against God, either by word, deed, or desire of the heart. Uh, I agree with that. The one thing I would add to it is um, uh, something referencing the fact that it's um, not only doing but not doing. Right, right, yes. Uh, if I'm not doing God's will, that's a sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I'm doing something, uh, rebelling against his will, that's a sin. Uh, and so often we think about the the act of doing things, but mm-hmm. we don't think about the not doing. The omission. Exactly. Yeah, it definitely talks about that in the Bible. I'm sure we'll hit on that later on in this episode. So certainly, I, I agree with that. And I, the BillyGram.org mentioned omitting, omitting good too, right. and that's something we shouldn't forget. And it is one of those things that I, I don't think about a lot because we're always talking, like you said, about acting and not talking about omitting or not doing. Yeah. So certainly, certainly something that we should uh, consider. Well, as you say that, I made me think of uh, the Old Testament, uh, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. And we think about the fact that they were a deviant people uh, uh, doing many things that God didn't approve of, but also what they weren't doing. They didn't take care of the poor and the needy and that we don't always think about, but that was as much a part of why they were destroyed as for all the things they did do. Interesting, interesting. I know Revelation talks about some of the churches and some of the things that they didn't do as well. Excellent point, and we'll certainly have to include that in the definition. So an act of offense against God, either by word, deed, or desire of the heart and the omission of good. All right, that sounds pretty good to me. All right, so let's talk about why we're even asking this question. Um, Why do you think it is relevant to try and decide a specific definition, or at least try and hone it down to an understandable definition that we can all agree on? Well, as a society, we need some type of moral code, Mm -hmm. and someone has to set the standard. If we don't have a standard, if we don't have something that we agree on, then we basically have chaos, Mm -hmm. because one person says this is a sin, another person says it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we go round and round, and uh, we can't define. I mean, it'd be much like our laws, uh, our just our uh, civil laws. Uh, I say you can drive 55. You say you can drive as fast as you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people will say, well, you can't define morality. 
but yet by defining 55 versus you can drive whatever you want, there is a moral aspect of mm -hmm. that because if I'm driving 55, chances are I'm going to have less accidents than if I'm driving any speed I want mm -hmm. and less people are going to be hurt. So there's a morality aspect of it. We don't always look at it that way. Mm -hmm. And I think that God wants us to understand what sin is. Um, as he references it in the Bible, we have to, I think, as believers, be on the same page um, because I agree with you that it does uh, present chaos. And as I look at uh, a, a website that was called CGI.org, one of the things that they mentioned, it says, to many people, sin is a relative term. And I, I agree with that. I mean, certainly among believers and even among unbelievers, uh, sin can be relative, and that should not be. We should all understand what sin is. Uh, but the reason I bring up sin in this episode, the reason that we even have an episode on sin is because I don't think we really disagree uh, with what sin is, but I think sometimes we might disagree with what sin is not. I've heard it said uh, that anything that is not God is sin, uh, which is a really, I don't know, that sounds like a very general, general definition and, and it's hard really to define. And even if whether that's even true or not, um, and some people just say that disobedience to God is sin. But then now you have to define what disobedience is. And are we talking about the law or we're talking about our conscience or what the Holy Spirit is telling us to do? So uh, some of these things I think would be helpful to define. Uh, so in this series, it would be helpful to define sin as we move forward, just like it was uh, when we explained in our very first episode, why is the Bible truth? It's a very foundation of not only Christianity, but also our conversations here. It helps us to uh, make sure that we stay on track and stay aligned, and uh, it'll help us to help to guide us in our future conversations. Because there were there were some past episodes where we did talk about sin um, that was the obvious sins, but then also there were episodes that were mentioned on this show that were not so obvious. Uh, one of which was one that you and I talked about, which was divorce. Uh, Understanding, I think we came to the conclusion that divorce is not a sin, but remarrying is a sin. Uh, but then it's, you know, it's it's one of those things um, is we have to now define what exactly is the, the, the part of that that is a sin. And I also did an episode with uh, uh, Andy on our show earlier about suicide. We didn't necessarily agree whether suicide itself was a sin, but we did agree that it was not the will of God. So in both cases, divorce and suicide, we can all agree that that is really not the will of God. That was not his plan. But if we do not follow the plan of God, is that sin or is that not, I mean, when I say sin, is it something that we'll have to later repent of and require the blood of Jesus to cleanse us? as that's why I consider sin? Or is it just something that we do that God does not like us to do, but it really isn't, doesn't really uh, uh, elevate itself to the level of what we would consider sin? Yeah, I think one other aspect of this is uh, how our culture changes. And even within the church, we look at things differently today than we might have 20, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And has God changed his position? <laughs> right. Uh, and, and it's hard to determine that. I mean, right. when we look at some of the things that are allowed in church today that uh, 30, 40 years ago mm -hmm. would not have been allowed. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and some things are no big deal, I guess. Uh, and depending upon how you look at it, like women not covering their heads. Mm -hmm. In the Old Testament, that was definitely uh, something that you wouldn't do. Now, if a woman walked into church with a hat on or a scarf on her head or whatever, it, it looks out of place. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. uh, things change with the culture, but really the basic truths don't change. Absolutely. And that is something that we need to keep in mind when we think about anything that is uh, spiritual or biblical. Uh, though our culture changes, the heart of God does not change. Uh, he's the same yesterday and today and forever, we're told Correct. and we're taught. So definitely something that we need to keep in mind. So what do you personally, how would you define sin, Jerry? Um, my definition would be not doing what you know God wants you to do or doing what you know he doesn't, does not want you to do, uh, whether that's following the Ten Commandments or talking with someone that you feel prompted to talk to. I've had that happen in the past where uh, I remember walking into the jail one day and I there was a guy sitting out. He was going to be waiting to get picked up. He had gotten out of jail. 
And I, I just nodded to him and you know asked him how he's doing or something when I went by. And I got about four or five steps past him. And God's saying, like, now you need to go talk to him. And so I went back and I talked to him for a few minutes and I just asked him if I could pray for him. And uh, he said, yeah. And so we had a, a little time of prayer and then I left. And that'll probably be the only time I ever seen mm-hmm, him in my life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But had I not gone back, in my estimation, that would have been sin to me oh. because I, I really felt God prompting okay. me to go and talk to him. All right. Yeah, that would certainly be falling to the omission part. That's interesting that you say that. Um, my definition of sin, it comes down, I think, to two things. Uh, the heart, which I, I feel like what you were talking about, the Holy Spirit conviction <laughs> uh, telling you to do something. Because I don't know if everything that God would consider a sin is actually found in the Bible. There are some things that are not in there that we may do that the Holy Spirit will convict us and we need to adhere to what the Holy Spirit is telling us. And the easier one is the law, which is, I would say, is that's overt commands from the Bible that's telling us to do something or not to do something. But in general, I think it is anything that takes you away from or is opposed to the holiness and righteousness um, of God, uh, so that is uh, one of the things that I would that I would point out. But when I talk about the two different things, first off is the law, and the law being disobedience uh, to overt commands by God directed to us on how to live, and those are specific things that God points out to us that we should not do. But there are some things um, that we are uh, that are in the Bible that is not overt. But let me just highlight a verse of scripture that kind of helps to to bring a better understanding to what I would consider an overt command because some things are in the Bible that uh, we are told to do, but we would not even know that there were a sin if we weren't told to do it. In Romans 7, 7, Paul says, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law, for I would not have known that known what coveting really was if the law had not said you shall not covet. So coveting is uh, one of the Ten Commandments that God tells us not to do. But I agree with Paul that if it were not in the Bible, I would not know that coveting uh, was a sin. So the Bible helps us to understand uh, the overt commands of God, the, the things that God tells us that we should not do, whether our moral code would line up with it or not. We look at what God says and says, well, that's God. He's sovereign. He knows what's right. He knows what's best. He is holy and righteous. And it is our job to follow along with God's um, God's plan, God's laws, uh, even if we don't necessarily either understand or agree with them in our own uh, moral code, our own personal moral code. But there is also parts of the Bible uh, where um, there are mentions of things that are not necessarily the law, but they are biblical principles. Um, for instance, it says, um, like uh, Proverbs would be one of the things, some of the Proverbs that we read are p- principles that we should follow, sure. but are not necessarily sin if we don't. In 1 Corinthians seven twelve, uh, Paul also goes on to say, uh, the rest I say to this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And when he says that, he clearly points out that it is him and not the Lord. And yet we still find that in the Bible. So when I consider the things that we need to follow as the law, I think about the overt commands of God. Would you agree with that, Jerry? Uh, definitely. And uh, in fact, uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 9 through 13 says, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your right does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be uh, emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols. So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if we eat, if what we eat causes my brother or sister to fail, fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fail. Mm-hmm. That was Paul again. That was yes. in Corinthians, you said? First, first Corinthians uh, 8, 9 through 13. Okay. Now, I personally also believe that there is a difference between doing something contrary to God's God's wills or his plan and sinning, like the, 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 what we're talked about, about divorce and sin and suicide earlier, whereas um, is not following God's plan for you, is that sin? I, 
I don't think in my mind that they're they're in the same place. And the reason for that is um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, where it says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. And later in uh, chapter 10, verse 13, it says the same thing, but instead of saying that I will not be mastered by anything, it says, but not everything is constructive. So... I find from that portion of scripture that there are some things that we can do that are not necessarily beneficial to us, but they are not necessarily sin. And they may affect us in our in our life here on earth, but they may not uh, have eternal consequences. Um, so I think that there's a difference sometimes between what God's will is for us and what sin is. Do you agree with that? Yes, uh, that uh, because God's will for us is perfect, mm-hmm. uh, we aren't perfect, and uh, there are things that we do that probably don't rise to the level of sin, but if we could see the big picture, which we can't, mm-hmm. uh, we would look and say, maybe it would be better to do it this other way mm-hmm. instead of the way we did it, Right. but yet God can use even our feeble attempts, uh, if we do something not exactly the way he wants it, he can still use mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Uh, and use it for his good, use it to for his honor. Mm-hmm. And it's just, um, we just have to do the best we can to follow the leading when we feel where God's trying to lead us. Absolutely. And I think that uh, um, there is also a th- another element that uh, I think about when I think about sin is I already alluded to it as the conviction of the heart, which when I say the conviction of the heart, I'm, I'm really talking about the Holy Spirit that helps us to know what sin is. In Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 15, um, it says this, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are the law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience are bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accuse them and at other times even defend them. So even Gentiles, uh, biblical Gentiles, um, when they, even if they didn't have the Holy Spirit, even if they didn't have uh, a a firm belief in who God is, um, their heart, uh, the Holy Spirit can convict them um, to help them to see what, what sin is. So I think that inside of us, the Holy Spirit can help direct us and help us to understand what sin is, even if it is not necessarily uh, written in the law. Uh, do you agree with that? There are, and I know people who really don't have much to do with faith that still do things that we as Christians should be doing. Mm-hmm. In fact, some people who are not Christians act more like Christians than some people who call themselves Christians. Yeah, it's a sad truth. You're, you're right about that. I do know, certainly know some people who seem to be uh, more loving toward others, who are more giving toward others than I am, and I call myself a Christian, and they do not. So I certainly agree with that. And unfortunately, I, I would fall into sometimes that category where I'm not doing all the things I should, but there are some people who are have a, just a, such a giving heart and such a, a, a heart of hospitality, and it's, it's amazing how God can, or at least in their heart. I mean, we are told, of course, that when we are born, we are born with evil intent, right. uh, but uh, also we do have uh, a conscience, and I believe the Holy Spirit can help us to see what is right and what is wrong, whether we want to agree with that or not. And especially, I think, with believers who depend upon the Holy Spirit, who have been promised the Holy Spirit, uh, when we are convicted um, and by Holy Spirit conviction, we need to make sure that we follow that conviction. And you've also right. alluded to a story earlier on in this episode, too, where that, where that was um, applicable. And then lastly, we already talked about the sin of omission, and that comes from uh, James chapter 4, verse 17, where it says, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him, it is sin. So it certainly does point that out in the Bible. Absolutely. So again, I think I believe that sin comes down to the heart, which is Holy Spirit conviction, and the overlaw, um, the commands of, of, of the Bible. If I were to boil it down in my mind, how I define sin would be that. So... Does it matter 
that believers define sin differently? And if so, what would you say? Why, why would you think that's important or not? Well, I, I definitely agree with that statement. Um, if we do not have a standard, then everybody does what's right in their own eyes, as it says in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess the best example I heard of one time in trying to wrap my head around this was if you and I go out to play a game of basketball and you say that you have to dribble in order to move with the ball, and I say, dribble? No, you can just run around anywhere you want. And uh, you say, you got to stay within these lines. And I say, no, 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 you can go in and out and wherever you want. We can't really have a game. Mm-hmm. You need a standard. You need something mm-hmm. that defines what the rules are and so that you know when I'm violating the rules. God gave us that standard in the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. It's a standard that was set for our protection and for our benefit, and yet we look at it sometimes as uh, taking away freedom and taking away rights, but actually it, it's giving us freedom that we can never have mm-hmm. when we get entangled in sin. You know, on the flip side of that too, it's not necessarily only when people don't agree with sins that are considered sin, but then I believe that believers can take it too far and start calling things that are not sin, sin. And so I think in both cases, we can start to define sin or at least broaden the uh, the definition of sin to things that are not necessarily sin. And I don't believe that God wants us to do that as well. I think that sin carries with it uh, a different weight than acts that are not considered sin because sin itself requires repentance. That means that's the blood of Jesus uh, to be in right relationship with God. So there are things I believe that we do that God would not want us to do that does not require the blood of Jesus to bring us back into right relationship with him. But then, of course, there are things that uh, he wants us to do that if we either do or do not do uh, will be sins that require repentance, require the blood of Jesus to bring us back in right relationship with him. It is important for us, I think, to tell others what sin is and that we can teach it correctly so that uh, we are not misled or deceived by what we would consider sin. And and it's easy for not only believers, but anybody to start to insert their own moral code into what sin is and what is right and wrong. I mean, even the Pharisees did it and began to add traditions and, and extra things Absolutely. upon uh, what was uh, what was God's law. So I do think it does matter uh, that we define, that, that Christians may define sin differently. Uh, so I think that we, I, but I think for the most part, um, a lot of the major major sins that we do agree on, but there are other things that are still sin that we may not agree agree with as believers. I think part of that is also modeling our faith uh, that if I, and I remember growing up as a kid, uh, if my parents told me one thing and did another, mm-hmm. I was more likely to follow what they did, not what they said. Right. And so as Christians, we need to live our faith in such a way that if people were to look at us, they could point and say, yeah, that's a Christian. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, I remember my dad, who really didn't have much faith, uh, there was an old minister in the neighborhood, Reverend John, and the story on Reverend John was he marries him and buries him. Hmm. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, he was always at the jail. He was always uh, at the hospital ministering to people. And my dad, one time, he just said, if I was ever to point at one person and say that person's a Christian, Reverend John was his guy. That's an awesome testimony. <laughs> Definitely something that uh, I would love to be said about me. Absolutely. All right. So besides the Ten Commandments, though, which we know are overt sins, what are other overt references in the Bible about sin, would you, would you say? Just maybe a couple that you might have... Found or well, of. the one goes back to, and we talked about it, the First Corinthians, where if I'm doing something that might be okay for me, but it causes a fellow believer, maybe a weaker believer, to uh, get off track, then I need to have the discipline not to do that so that I don't draw them away. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that, uh, and, and I, I was thinking about, and you mentioned in James, where if... Uh, not doing what what we know we should is right. sin to us. Uh, so those are things that kind of jump out at me. Uh, I don't have a lot of other uh, sure. 
Well, it's kind of difficult to try and, I mean, the, the one that you mentioned where if we do something that causes our brother to, to stumble, uh, even in our today, I mean, that was back in uh, the, the, the example that was mentioned by Paul was an example that may not be applicable today. So it's mm-hmm. hard to try and figure out what kind of things today might cause our brothers to stumble. And one of them that would come to mind is, if you are, if someone were to drink and uh, maybe wine or something with their meal, and and uh, someone, uh, some other uh, new believer was taught that drinking wine or drinking any kind of uh, alcohol is a sin, and if that brother uh, would then now look at you and and be confused and and uh, uh, and not know exactly where to go from there, it's better for you then not to drink at all. Uh, in their presence, just so that that doesn't slip them up or make them stumble, I think would be one example of, sure. of how to put that into practice. Well, and our our church has a good recovery program, and knowing that a person might have an issue with that, uh, and so not to put temptation in front of them. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Well, my uh, thought on a couple of other overt references in the Bible about sin uh, comes from Matthew, uh, when Jesus basically starts to say that, well, I know that the Old Testament says that adultery is sin, but I'm telling you that lust is sin also. Because it says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 28, it says, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so that is that just ratchets up what we already know to be one of the Ten Commandment laws that uh, Jesus basically says, well, it's more than that. It's now if you are to even look at a woman lustfully, in your heart, you've already committed adultery. And I look at that as being sin, uh, uh, um, looking at someone lustfully in your heart. And that's a, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here, but uh, that is a, uh, a difficult one to define because, of course, we are bombarded with um, lustful advertisements and uh, sometimes scantily clad women and and things that will draw your attention to the lustful thoughts. Uh, but I think here he's he's talking about the uh, going a step further in your mind and playing with those thoughts in your mind and desiring that woman beyond uh, just the visual. And then also he talks about uh, hate um, being akin to murder, whereas in the Old Testament, we know that murder is sin. But he says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 22, and these are both Jesus' words, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of hellfire. So in, in, uh, in short, he's basically saying that if you hate your brother, I mean, really hate your brother, that could be akin to murder. And even uh, it even talks about that if you're going to, uh, earl- earlier on in the Bible, if you were going to, uh, give a sacrifice and you have uh, an issue with your brother, just put that sacrifice down, make it right with your brother before you even come. That's how important it is to be in right relationship, not only with God, but also with our brothers. Well, and when we are in that state, uh, we are in a state of unforgiveness. And we know that if we are not willing to forgive, that our sins aren't going to be forgiven either. And uh, Anytime I hold unforgiveness, and it's interesting that uh, the person that's hurt the most by that is me. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I let it go, the person that benefits the most is me. Yeah. Uh, and so it's God saying this is how we should do it, and when we do, we realize the benefits. Well, I'm so glad you brought that up because I didn't even think about that in context with that verse. Uh, but forgiveness, that could be, as you pointed out, a direct uh, result of obeying that particular command. Which we should probably do an episode on on forgiveness at some point. I think it's a good would be a good one. Uh, but we'll but we'll leave it at that and uh, let's take a break. But when we come back, we'll take a deeper look into how the Bible defines sin. We'll examine some of the spiritual repercussions of sin and some of the benefits of obedience, and we'll explore what the Bible says about habitual sin. So stay with us. If you'd like to let us know your thoughts about this episode. Or if you have an episode topic that you'd like to hear us talk about on the show, feel free to drop us an email at writecmv at hotmail.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-C-M-V at hotmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Listen to half-hour episodes of the Christian Music Podcast online or download them to your computer or mobile device and take them with you. Discover independent Christian artists while exercising, 
commuting to work, doing chores, or any time you need to get your Christian music fix. Just go to ktfproductions.com and find the Christian Music Podcast link to access the Christian Music Podcast. Boldly proclaim your faith while also supporting the Hardcore Christianity Podcast. Find Hardcore Christianity t-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, smartphone cases, pillows, mugs, and more. Just go to the Hardcore Christianity page at ktfproductions.com for links to the store. Today, Jerry and I have been exploring the question, what does it mean to sin? Though on the surface this question may seem obvious, we've learned that it might not be. In the first part of the show, Jerry and I attempted to define sin. We discussed whether it matters if believers have a varying definition of sin, and we tried to point out some of the overt references in the Bible. But in this segment, we'll begin by exploring how the Bible defines sin. So, Jerry, what would you say to that question? How does the Bible define sin? Well, a couple of verses. uh, One, 1 John 3, 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practice lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Mm -hmm. We are all sinners, even those who have been saved. As Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isaiah writes, your iniquities have made separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. The good news is is that God shows us his love for us. While that we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Jesus solved our sin problem by becoming sin for us, that for those who have repented and trusted in him, can be seen as having the same righteousness as Christ does, uh, which is 2 Corinthians 5.21. But if not, we still have the wrath of God on us, John uh, 3.18b and 3.36b. And that came from the Christian crier. Okay. So I I actually had the same, uh, one of the same verses from 1 John, which basically says that sin is lawlessness. Uh, and that points out the uh, the breaking of the law, the overt commands of God. Um, I had another, a couple of other references. Uh, one that kind of alludes to the idea that there are levels of sin. Now listen to this from 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. It says, If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will, forget, will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. So I don't know exactly what that means about the whole leading to death. But what I take away is that there seems to be uh, that, you know, this could actually be a qualifier as to how what we were talking about earlier about things that are um, sin that leads to death, which I would assume are the ones that require repentance and the blood of Jesus, and those which we can say are sins that um, is just something that we shouldn't do uh, and not part of God's plan, uh, but that is not a sin that would quote unquote lead to death or require um, the blood of Jesus to bring us back into right relationship with God. Do you do you hear hear it that way or, or different? Well, it was interesting as you were reading it. I was thinking about sins that lead to death are sins that we continue unrepentant, that we uh, go grow farther and farther away from God. As mm. and and as we stay in those sins, we become hardened, much like mm. uh, Pharaoh's heart when his heart was hardened when he wouldn't accept the. Uh, the different um, signs that God right. had given him, right. and uh, the more, and I've seen it with uh, with people and in myself at times that the, when we are active in our sin and are not repentant, that we can't get close to God. And and I, the example I would think of would be Adam. When Adam sinned, he hid himself from God because he just knew that he had done something that that wasn't right. Hmm. And we tend to do that when we sin. We, God doesn't move. We move away from mm-hmm, Him mm-hmm. Uh, because we know 
what we did was wrong. Mm. And so as a, a sin that leads to death is one that we won't give up, one that we continue to do even though we know it's wrong. And mm. in my yeah. listening to you read yeah, it, that's yeah. what came up. Well, that, I mean, it bears uh, further investigation, but I, I do appreciate your, your uh, take on it. Um, I actually look at it, and I don't. I don't fully understand it. That's one of the things that would that would require more study. But uh, I appreciate your answer on that. Uh, I also look at it as um, uh, how the Bible defines sin. It oftentimes uses the slave analogy. In Romans chapter six, verse sixteen, uh, Paul says, "Do you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey?" Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness, and since that mentions uh, slaves to sin, which leads to death, would, that would that would uh, bring me back to that original verse that I mentioned about death, um, the sins that are over so bad that it will require uh, the blood of Jesus. But also, what it says here is that you can be slaves to obedience, uh, which leads to righteousness. So the idea that uh, slaves analogy uh, to um, our link with sin um, is helpful, I think. And then also the Bible talks about uh, sinlessness and that it is a taught behavior. In Romans chapter 6, verse 17, uh, Paul goes on to say, but thanks, to be, thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. So Paul actually, when he went around, he was actually telling people and teaching them not only about Jesus, but also about sin. And that uh, uh, that is something that needs to be taught. Earlier, we talked about the idea that uh, if he didn't know that coveting was sin, he would not have known if the Bible didn't tell him. So uh, there are things that uh, we read and learn and that the Holy Spirit guides us, that teaches us uh, and guides us in the way to be to try and live a sinless life. Well, it's interesting also because in Romans 7, Paul talks about the things that I want to do. Mm -hmm. Those aren't the things I do, <laughs> but the things that I hate. I know. Those are the things I, I do. Know. And uh, I use that a lot when I'm talking with guys at the jail because we can all relate to that. It, mm -hmm. I didn't get there because I did things that I knew I should do. I got there because I did things I knew I shouldn't. Right. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's very relatable as mm -hmm. humans, uh, but... If we continue on with that and go into chapter 8, he says, but through Christ I can overcome these things. Mm -hmm. And so it's that whole idea of submission. Am I willing to give up something that maybe is attractive to me today uh, so that I can have something better tomorrow? Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Yeah. What are the spiritual repercussions of sin? What would you say that that is? Well, the big thing for me is it draws us away from God. And mm -hmm. as we talked about, like with Adam, he just knew he couldn't mm -hmm. be in God's sight mm -hmm. in the condition he was in. Um, and I know when uh, when I've had when I've done something that I didn't feel right about, whether it was uh, you know, using the Lord's name in vain or or some other sin, there's a a pain that goes with that, and. But I am grateful that I also know he forgives. Mm -hmm. That, uh, <clears throat> In fact, I remember uh, the chaplain at the jail, before he became chaplain, was giving a sermon at the jail. And uh, one of the things he said is that uh, to think about that Christ died for us on our worst day, not mm -hmm. our best day, but our worst mm -hmm. day. Uh, and so that gives me hope that I can be forgiven because mm. uh, if I had to earn my way, nah, never going to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was a, a real uh, eye-opener for me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, when we're talking about the repercussions of sin, that's what the whole Christian experience is predicated upon, Jesus being the answer for what sin actually requires of us. It says um, in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is, is eternal life in Jesus, in Christ Jesus our Lord, which is talking about spiritual death. That We're talking about the wages of sin is just total separation from God, as you mentioned, right. and uh, uh, you know being required to, to spend eternity in hell. So the repercussions, the spiritual repercussions of hell is why we require, we, we, why we need Jesus. And uh, uh, so they are huge. But the benefits, 
uh, referenced in uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 22, which is the verse before the one I just read, says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. So that's night and day. So uh, the benefits of, of, uh, of obeying uh, God leads to holiness, which leads to eternal life. But when we do sin, the wages of that is eternal death, which is as um, eternal separation from God. Sin uh, leads to hell. Um, and so <clears throat> the repercussions of sin, all believers should understand what that is. And I'm sure if we have um, given our lives to Christ, we understand what he has done for us. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with his riches, with the riches of God's grace. So it all comes down to that. Uh, the repercussions of sin is hell, death, eternal separation from God. Uh, but the benefits of righteousness or, or obeying God's law, obeying his commands, overt or Holy Spirit led, is eternal life uh, with him. So definitely. Uh, something that uh, every believer and unbeliever should uh, should explore and understand. So what does God think about habitual sin? And this is uh, the sins that we continue to do, uh, the, the sins that are hard to break away from. What would you what would you say to that? Well, first of all, I think God hates any sin. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously he wants us to repent. He wants us to accept the gift that he gave us. Mm -hmm. Um, but if we habitually sin, uh, I think we grieve God's heart. And I, I look at it from a parent's perspective uh, with children. When a child does something and you correct them and they continue to do it and you correct them, they continue to do it, it really begins to grieve your heart because uh, you see what it's doing. Uh, a lot of times, in, uh, like as an apparent, we'll see it from a child because we have more experience. But eternally, God sees from an eternal perspective what the effect of our sin is. Mm -hmm. And that's what grieves his heart, that we're going to become something that he didn't intend for us to be because we are caught up in this sin. And you also mentioned uh, that we can build up a callousness uh, to sin, I mean, that we can kind of uh, separate ourselves and continue to go further and further away from God. What do you think about this uh, particular verse of Scripture that I have often uh, thought about in reference to habitual sin? It's from John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 6, which says, No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. And it also says in verse in verse 9 of that same chapter, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in, in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. How do you read that? What, what would you say to, does that line up with habitual sin in your mind or is that a completely different, different thing? I think there's a correlation there that when we habitual sin, it does put that separation between us and God. Uh, and if I call myself a Christian and I'm doing something that doesn't reflect mm -hmm. God, doesn't reflect Christ, I'm not only affecting myself, but I'm affecting all those who know me and know that I've called myself a Christian. Mm -hmm. um, and I think just that, that whole process of Letting other, not only letting God down, but letting other people down, mm -hmm. uh, we become. Uh, I, at times, we give up, mm. and uh, and I I think of people who are uh, caught in habitual sin. They don't feel like they can. Uh, that God can ever forgive them for what they've done, mm -hmm. but uh, really, God. There's nothing we can do to make God love us any more or any less, but we sometimes, uh, I think we take it from a human perspective because if someone were to do that to me that I'm doing mm -hmm. to God, mm -hmm. I might be, I might find it very hard to forgive them. Well, God does talk about in the Bible uh, that if someone sins against you seven times, you can, it comes back to you seven times in a day, you forgive him. And that is the heart of our God to continually forgive us even though we are a species, a uh, 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 creature that is subject to um, to continually uh, go back to the muck and mire and uh, sin. 
uh, I look at it too also as um, not just necessarily the habit of sinning, but also the callousness to sin. Uh, It's like where you begin to sin, and like you were talking about giving up, um, or even changing your mindset on sin and and beginning to believe that it's not bad. It's not that bad. It's not a big deal. Um, So it is, to me, a tough question to answer. Uh, but I agree with I would I would agree with you where where it does grieve the Holy Spirit it grieves his heart I like how you said that and that you brought that up um, as far as the uh, um, the the what 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 it results in in a believer's life uh, that would definitely I think would start to be a separation from God but I think if we continue to um, to at least believe in the in the principles and the laws and the commands of God and and want our hearts to be in alignment with Him, then that will help us at least to continue to pray about our habitual sin or and help the Holy Spirit to help us to find ways out of that habitual sin. Well, I know that people who've committed their life to Christ and then get into habitual sin seem to struggle way more than people who haven't made that commitment. Hmm. For them, it's no big deal. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm doing it, but okay. Right, but, right. But a person who's known the forgiveness of Christ and goes back, they they seem to struggle way more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I know that we all have areas in our lives that uh, that we struggle with. Mm-hmm. But the more we can let them go, the more we can accept God's gifts and uh, be able to. Um, I guess, root them out of our lives, Mm -hmm. the more peace and joy that we can have. And we live in a culture that doesn't necessarily promote uh, contentment, peace, joy, whatever. We look for happiness. Mm -hmm. We look for experiences. We look for things that satisfy for the moment. And the problem with those is we keep going for another moment Mm -hmm. uh, where once we get to that point where we've, understood what, what Christ has for us, there's a contentment that doesn't strive for those moments as much. Mm-hmm. We, we are able to be satisfied with where we're at, what we have. Yeah. Well, I, I included that habitual sin question because I'm sure there are listeners and uh, several uh, believers who struggle with that. It's a, one of those um, theological uh, things that I don't, I don't think churches like to talk about. Uh, it's thing. It's an area that believers don't want to address, but it is something that uh, that needs to be at least talked about. I don't know if we have all the answers here, but at least uh, uh, addressing the idea of having a habit of sin is something that uh, that needs to be brought to light. I have another uh, theological black hole to go down mm-hmm. here. Uh, so, what happens if you were to die without asking forgiveness? Or if we forget to ask forgiveness or neglect to ask for forgiveness after we sin? And my answer was tough question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that as Christians, I think we're forgiven uh, for the things that we do post and pre. I mean, I I think Mm. uh, God forgives us. Now, he does want us to ask, but there might be a situation where... I, I was angry with someone, and I died soon after. Mm-hmm. I don't know that God's going to send me to hell for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he does forgive us for those things. Uh, yeah, see, the, the other two, forget or neglect, those are things that I didn't intentionally do. The first one, uh, if I die without asking forgiveness, what was the condition of my heart? Mm-hmm. But... Uh, yeah, I I know that uh, that Christ died for my sins, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, I think God would forgive that, but uh, I, I'm I'm not the authority <laughs> by any means on that. Well, I always fall back on the heart as well. I the God is you know, yes, He makes the rules and He makes the laws, but I think that what He really wants from us is our heart. Absolutely. Uh, so. Beyond the 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 structure of the law, the 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 hard nosed um, answer of the law, uh, we also have to to really consider the intent of the law, 
And I think that uh, the intent is that God wants our hearts. And a non-repentant heart is one who has not, who, who, who does not uh, believe that they are in error. Um, but I think that uh, the Bible is clear about asking for forgiveness. And this is a tough one for me too, because um, oftentimes when you sin, that's the least, that's the time you least want to ask for forgiveness. <laughs> You're basically feeling shame and you feel like I don't want to come into God's presence. Or uh, you remember the part, the part of the, of the Bible that tells you that you need to repent and for fear of hell, you, 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 you repent right away, but it may not be heartfelt. Uh, but I believe that um, not asking for forgiveness is kind of reflects a non-repentant heart. I believe that we must ask for forgiveness to activate the blood of Jesus. Uh, repenting is like the sacrificing of bulls in the Old Testament in my mind. So in the Old Testament, you know, when you sin, a bull of sacrifice, that, that blood covers that sin. And in the New Testament, or as we live today, it is the blood of Jesus that covers our sin. And if we are non-repentant, uh, then has that activated? Have we activated the blood of Jesus upon that that particular sin? Um, I I think that uh, there's a lot of portions in the Bible that talk about the ver- verbal uh, communication with God being necessary, even when we accept Jesus to begin with. Uh, if you say with your mouth and confess in your heart, it's like uh, the words that come out of our mouth uh, are joined with the things that are placed in our heart. So I don't know. I I would land on the idea that um, we need to make it a priority to ask for forgiveness and not take it so lightly. And, and I'm talking about myself here too. It's like uh, when we sin, we know we have a good God. We know he will, he will forgive us. You know, he died for our sins and everything. But I think that we need to make an effort to as soon as we can get back in right relationship with God, realizing that he is right, we are wrong when we sin, and uh, that we need to to get back in right relationship with God. And that said, uh, just bringing back up the verse from Luke uh, chapter 17, verse 4, which is how God modeled this. I mean, it says, even if we sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back and say, I repent, you must forgive them. That is the what is said about us. But also, it reflects the model that that God has done for us. But it says here, if he comes back seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive them. So as I read that scripture and I understand the pattern of the Bible and a lot of the things that that we are asked to do or told to do, uh, the verbalizing our, our, uh, our sin unto God asking for forgiveness verbally to the Lord, whether it be actually speaking it or praying it in our hearts, uh, is something that I think that we need to do. And I I don't know what will happen if we don't. Um, I I don't want to even think about <laughs> and try and be in that in that area. So I suppose what I what I'm saying is that uh, for those who are listening, my thought is is that make it a priority to ask for forgiveness. Make it a priority to get back in right relationship with God. Uh, it's better to be on that side and asking for forgiveness than not to, and then finding out that uh, you did not follow, you did not dot your I's and cross your T's, you didn't do what you're supposed to do to get back in relationship with God. And yes, it is about the heart and the intent of the law, but also there are some things that uh, that He has in the Bible that we cannot not do. Uh, one of the examples would be where, uh, in this, I know it's Old Testament where Uzzah studied the ark, and it's like. You know that didn't seem like a bad thing for him to do, but it this the the holiness of God supersedes the heart of the man at that point. It's like God is holy and He will always be holy, and you can't touch uh, His ark with your human hands, and that results in death. So, if that is true, then then why is this not true now? Where even though our heart might be right, we still have to go through um, the act of of uh, verbalizing or at least um, asking. Uh, God for repentance, which he tells us to do. Well, it was interesting you mentioned Uzzah, and I think about that, uh, I think about that as a reflex action. Mm-hmm. I don't think he intentionally said, oh, I'm going to take right, care of God right, here. Right. No, it was a reflex. It's falling, and he, right. uh, I could see me doing something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, the other thing I was thinking of is um, I think there are times when we sin we don't recognize that we don't uh, just don't realize that we sinned at that moment. And uh, when I pray, one of the things I try to do is to pray uh, first of all, that if I have anybody in my life that I have not forgiven, 
that I would recognize that mm. and that I would then uh, forgive them. Mm-hmm. And then go to, if there's anything I have in my life that I haven't recognized as sin, that I would recognize it and repent of it and then uh, be able, and if, if the opportunity provides itself to actually go and ask forgiveness of them, but if not, uh, at least know that I've talked to God about it and mm-hmm. that uh, I have asked for forgiveness. That is, that's really, really good. I, I'm going to take that home with me, uh, that uh, we need to pray um, that God reveal that in our hearts. Because we don't always know and we don't always remember. But since it is so important, it's one of those things in your prayer life, we can add that to, you know, even even when Jesus patterned uh, prayer for us, it, it, there is forgiveness, of asking of forgiveness in there. And I think that, uh, and as was mentioned earlier, very early on in this episode, I was talking about one of the definitions was talk, was, was referencing that you know it's, an, it's a knowledge of sin. But there are times when we don't know when we sin. And uh, uh, we're hold, held accountable for that as well. So I think that uh, that is something I'm certainly going to uh, in, you know, put in my life is asking God to reveal to me what areas, what areas do I need to repent for? What areas do, can you point out in my life that I need to either uh, uh, forgive someone or uh, repent of? That, that's really, really good. And I think that's a safeguard for any believer to make sure that we are on track and we are certainly knowledgeable ourselves about our sin, but also confessing that sin unto the Lord and asking for forgiveness. So what does the fact that sin exists say about our God? Well, for me, it re- reinforces the idea of free will. Um, if God allows us to to rebel if we want, but he's also willing to accept us when we do repent, when we do move back. And uh, um, if we didn't have free will, we wouldn't be able to freely praise and honor God because it would be we would be forced to do whatever we're doing. He allows us that opportunity. We can either push him away by the way we act or we can draw closer and praise him and uh, just have him in our lives in a way that, uh, uh, for me, just reflects the fact that he does give us free will to mm-hmm. be able to do those things. Well, it says to me, that God is holiness. It speaks to me about his holiness. And we know that sin and God's holiness does not mix, which is why we can't enter heaven with sin. That's why Jesus died for us. Now, as was mentioned in, in one of the definitions, we were born into sin, and it is uh, God in his grace that gave us a way through his son to be forgiven of sin. And uh, it says to me that God is holy and, uh, and that G- through Jesus, he showed us his love without compromising his holiness. So just like the story of Uzzah, where that uh, that uh, ark that uh, ark on the cart was holy, and uh, you can't touch it with your human hand, um, God is holy, and sin does not cannot be in His presence, and we are sinful beings. But through Jesus and through His love, He showed us, He gave us a way to be in His presence without compromising His holiness. So He is still holy; we are still sinful. But Jesus is the one who bridges that gap and he loved us enough that even in our sin he gave us a way to be in his presence that what it, that's what it says to me uh, that yes sin exists but God gave us a way to still uh, overcome sin and that's through the blood of Jesus which hopefully believers don't take for granted and understand really how how big of a deal what Jesus did for us on the cross and I believe b- believers do understand that but we sometimes need to reflect and to think about the ramifications of what Jesus did for us, because without that, our sin does not mix with God's holiness, where there's no way we could go to heaven with our sin, even whatever little sin we think we have, we can't, we can't be in his presence. So the blood of Jesus and through God's love for us, um, he sent him to, to, to be that for us, which that's what I take away from how God uh, and the whole idea about sin and how God sees it. So what are, are the takeaways that will help us become more hardcore in our faith from this episode, would you say? Well, for me, uh, although no one of us are perfect, we do the best we can to follow God's commandments. And then uh, the, the verse that 
I use in that is Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, where Jesus says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And uh, when I love my neighbor as myself, I'm willing to to sacrifice and do things that I wouldn't do on my in my own thought. Uh, and we live in a culture that is so me focused mm-hmm. that we lose that focus on our neighbor, who is my neighbor, and all those things. But uh, it is our willingness to see others as important, uh, as needful, whatever it might be, as ourselves, uh, and recognize that uh, God is God. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we get those things in the proper order, then everything else seems to fall into place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love how Jesus is able to break it down into very, very simple things. We just love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. That will take care of everything else. But I also think another takeaway from this uh, episode would be that we should all endeavor to obey God, regardless of whether it is an overt overt command or a biblical principle. Um, That is what it looks like to be like Jesus. And that's what we're we're all aspiring to do is follow Jesus. We call ourselves Christ followers. So Jesus would obey the overt commands and he would obey the biblical principles as well. So we should as well. And just to put it simply, we need to find out what God likes and pursue it and find out what he doesn't like and avoid it. So I think we should end it there, Jerry. But I would like to uh, thank you, the listener, for spending time with us on this episode as we explore the question, what does it mean to sin? I hope you've enjoyed the show. Be sure to join us next time as we explore another challenging topic from our Christian worldview. But until then, I encourage you to make every effort to keep your walk hardcore. See you soon. If you'd like to let us know your thoughts about this episode, or if you have an episode topic that you'd like to hear us talk about on the show, feel free to drop us an email at writecmv at hotmail.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-C-M-V at hotmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Hardcore Christianity is produced by KTF Productions. Thanks for listening and God bless.